Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Well, good morning again, guys. It's good to be here this morning. Um, as you heard earlier, Mark shared with you that I am Jason McGuffey, and I, I serve this church and you guys as the Calhoun campus pastor. And so this morning, Michael Wood and myself, we swapped. Uh, that seems a bit weird, except for the whole idea of who we are as one church in three different places. And so it does make sense in the grand scheme of things. This morning, I would ask you, if you have your Bibles with you, to go ahead and make your way to the book of Zechariah. If you make it to Matthew, just go back to, and you found it right there. If you can remember a couple of weeks ago, we were in Haggai, and then we took a week off because we had Family Sunday coming off the hills of Vacation Bible School, and now we find ourselves in one of the most complex minor prophets that exist. We have chosen to take this route of going through each minor prophet one a day. And I'm going to be honest with you, I hope you guys brought lunch with you this morning because there is so much in this book that time is going to be an issue. So I need you to listen as fast as possible, all right? And I'm going to encourage you to take notes because there's a lot of Scripture references this morning. And I know that those sheets exist that allow you to see the outline of the sermon, the first and second and third base, and then home. And then the main idea is up at the top of that piece of paper. But it doesn't matter how you take notes. I would encourage you to do exactly that this morning. Now, if you can remember, these minor prophets, they have somewhat of a, of a consistent theme. This, this whole theme is, hey, my people, says the Lord, I need you to repent. And when you do repent, then I will restore. And that same thought process comes all the way through the Bible and into our lives now. It is hard or impossible to be restored unless, uh, unless first you repent. Right? God says, if you want me to restore your life, just like we saw this morning in the water, then there has to be this moment of repentance of your sin. And then I can, in fact, restore. So every minor prophet that we have read and every minor prophet that we have looked at, they are all the exact same in that, in, in, in that, that idea of God calls his people to repent and then to be restored. Now, this minor prophet is so much more complex than, than the one we read two weeks ago, Haggai. Just in its length, it is more complex. In the content, it is more complex. So let's just allow our minds to try to absorb all that the Lord has for us and our hearts to be open to his truth as we begin this morning in this minor prophet of Zechariah. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this one line. It's the main idea of the sermon, or the MIS. And here's what it is. God's promise of future victory comforts his people. God's promise of a 
future victory does in fact comfort his people. Now the reality of that line is that applies so wonderfully to my life today and to your life this morning. Because it doesn't matter, Brad, how bad things get in this world. We know that God wins. We have read the book, right? We've got a book that outlines that entire thought process in that if your hope and trust is in the Lord, then at the end of this thing that we call life, then hope and joy and comfort is there for us to enjoy and know and to rest securely in. So regardless if we're talking about this minor prophet or your life today, if you trust the Lord, then guys, you have comfort that is immeasurable. It doesn't matter how bad things get or how dark the days seem to be. Man, our hope is not in these moments. It's in the Messiah, right? It is not in this time frame. It is in the Lord. And so this morning, as we begin, just allow that thought to grow in your mind that God's promise of future victory does comfort his people. Let's go ahead and dive into this. If, if, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right, thank you for that. If you're, if you're taking notes, then you know that we always go to first base first, and it's called background information. Now, a lot of this information, it can be found in a Google search. It's not hard to find the background information of a book in your Bible. Your Bible may actually have a lot of this just before chapter one. It may tell you the author who is Zechariah, very good. It may tell you about the date in chapter 1, verse number 1. If you look at it with me, it says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Ado, or Edo. And so this gives us a pretty good time frame of around 520 B.C., now that matters as you read this book because what you will realize in this book is, man, this minor prophet is so full of prophecies pointing to the Messiah. It is so full of truths that point us directly to Jesus as the Savior of the world. It's not like any other book. As a matter of fact, this book is spoken about or spoken to in the New Testament over 40 times. And so it carries a lot of weight in the prophetic idea of who we are and what we believe. And so as you dwell on that date, know this, that the minor prophet of Haggai that we read two weeks ago, he preached over a span of just a couple of months, three or four months, and now we see this minor prophet coming into the time frame. And so these two books are somewhat welded together as far as the time existence here, where they are, God's people, in their journey. We know that the book of Haggai encouraged the people to stop building their paneled houses and to rebuild the temple of the Lord, if you can remember that far back, right? And now we're going to see some of the same things playing out in real time here in the book of Zechariah. Now, if you'll look with me in Zechariah 1, 2, and 3, it says this, The Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says. Return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. If you have your Bibles open, skip down to verse number 6. It says this, So the people repented and said, As the Lord of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. 
And so there's your call of repentance and coming back to where the Lord desires you to be. Now, I want you to paint a portrait in your mind of the context and the moment that these people are in. They are returning to their homeland. The last three of the minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they're all written in a time frame of Persian rule. Now, the other ones were written while they were under the control of who? Does anybody remember? The Babylonians, right? And so they were released while the prophet of Haggai was speaking. And now these last three minor prophets in the time frame allow that to be the, the, the authority of the land at the moment. I know some of y'all are thinking, man, this has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but it really does. Because here's what's happening right here. They have returned to a land that they loved and it was no longer the same. They were returning to a place they called home, and home was almost unrecognizable because it had been completely destroyed. And so they had been released, and man, that's great news. They were no longer uh, under the authority of the Babylonian rule. But the reality is now they're returning to a place that needs a complete overhaul. It needs a complete rebuilding. And that, for the number that, that returned home, for the small number that returned home, was a monumental task that was discouraging. It took them down. They were deflated. I mean, can you imagine? Just imagine for a second if this building were to, I'm, I'm, please hear my heart right here, if this building were to catch on fire and burn down. And you would have to completely rebuild this building. This building is big and all that it takes to operate is big. And just that thought is such a daunting task. If you look around the room, can we do this, right? Can we do this? Can we rebuild it like it was? But in this moment, we see that God's not calling them to rebuild it like it was. He's calling them to be faithful in the rebuilding of it. And so this, this task that exists is much bigger than they could imagine. And they're processing this through the last minor prophet and now into this minor prophet. So that gives you just a little bit of background information. So let's go ahead and go to second base that we call biblical observations. Now, this part of the sermon is the hardest, especially if you have just scanned through your Bible and you realize it's longer than a chapter or two chapters or three chapters. This, is, this book is long. And I told Brad and them this past week, I said, this is the one day that I'm really concerned about time and content because... And that should concern you, by the way, if you're wondering, because there is so much here. But when you break this book down, what we find is we find three really good moments to kind of drive in a peg and say, here are some really strong biblical truths that not only mattered in their life, but it also matters in our life. So here's the first biblical observation. Number one, God had not forgotten his plan or his people. And that really takes chapters one through six. God had not forgotten his plan or his people. Now, the author of this book is Zechariah. His name actually means the Lord remembers. How appropriate, right? I mean, the author's name actually means the Lord remembers. In this moment and in this context, this, this whole rebuilding thing is their reality. And it seems as if, as if discouragement is ruling the day. 
It seems as if all of the unknown is ruling the day. So it goes on in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 4, like this. Don't be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, this is what the Lord of armies says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. So here's the reality for us in this in the first thought this morning. God had not forgotten his plan or his people. How many times have you felt forgotten? Or let me ask you this. How many people in this room at some point in your life have felt forgotten? Whether it be by the Lord, whether it be by your family, by your friends, that is the worst feeling on the planet. There's been times in my life, since nobody else will confess, that, that I have said, Lord, have you totally forgotten about me? Like, I feel like I am on an island. Lord, I am treading water, barely surviving. Where are you? What are you doing? What could possibly come good out of this current moment in my life? Lord, have you forgotten about me? I'm praying. Hello. Are you, are you even alive? Are you there? And then God reminds me in a way only he can, hey, I haven't forgotten you. My plan and my purpose will prevail. What a strong reminder for us this morning. We have all been in that lane of thought at some point in our life with some context. Just we feel forgotten and there's not a worse thought on the planet than the feeling of being forgotten. But God has not forgotten them. My mind goes to Exodus chapter 3, speaking to God's the people again. The Lord said this, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. So there again, we can see another example of this reality that, that God had not forgotten his people. They were, in this, they were in this mindset and this moment of discouragement and chaos and deflation. And they were really trying to rebuild. And they were really trying to, 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 to rebirth what they, what they loved so much. And, and God sends a message to Zechariah that is unlike any of the other minor prophets. If you have scanned ahead in your Bible, what you see in, in the book of Zechariah, there are eight divisions that God gives to Zechariah. Now, I'm not talking about eight weird dreams. I'm not talking about eight things that somebody made up. I'm talking about eight visions that God gave to Zechariah. Whenever God gives something like what we see in the first six chapters here, God speaks with authority. God speaks with power. It's not weird. It's not out of context. It is not to be taken that way. Whenever God delivers a message like this, God does it with a purpose of his people, his purpose, and his plan. And so what you see in the first six chapters is a vision of horsemen, and you see a vision of horns and smiths, which allows us to see and know that God watches the nations and the nations will be judged. We see a vision of, the, of a measuring line, which means that the nation of Israel and Jerusalem will be restored. Then we see the, the fourth one in chapter 3 is the high priest, which allows us to see Israel will be cleansed. Then we see the vision of the olive 
trees, which allows us to know that, that God empowers his people and that source of power will never diminish. Verse 6, we see the flying scroll. Evil will be purged from the land. Then we see the ephah. We see evil taking, taken out of or taken to Babylon. We see the four chariots and the Gentiles are judged. And if you read these, and I would encourage you, here's the beauty of who, who we are and what we have. You can read this tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday. If you expect me to explain everything right here in the next 35 minutes or so, man, we are going to be here way longer than you planned on being here this morning. Because when you begin to read this, what you see is this. God delivers messages to Zechariah in order to grab the hearts and minds of his people. And God does that, doesn't he? God always speaks in a way that grabs your heart and your mind. And that's exactly what he did through these moments in the first six chapters. He tells us this, as you look at the broad scope of things here, the nations will be judged and Jerusalem will be restored and the people will be purified. Man, what a strong message to a people who are beat down and beat up. Hey, people, listen. It may look bad and it may look chaotic, but the nations will be judged. What these things did in the lives of his people were this. It allowed them to know that nothing would keep them from rebuilding. Not nations, not sin, not anything would be in their way of accomplishing what God had for them. Now church, listen, we could hit the pause button right there and spend some time, but I don't have time. But let me say this. We can take that thought and apply it to our lives right here, and it motivates us to charge ahead in and through the power of the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going on out here. The nations will be judged. It doesn't matter what's going on out here. God's purpose and plan will prevail. It doesn't matter what's going on out here. The gospel is real and working, and you can be restored in this moment. It doesn't matter. Man, how, how promising is that? Here's what it says in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 14. It says, I am extremely jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. If you skip down to verse 16, in mercy I have returned to Jerusalem. My house will be rebuilt within it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And a measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. If you skip over to chapter 2, verse number 11, it says this, I will dwell among you and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of the Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. This is a good one. This is one of those that we need to write down or mark or whatever your process may be. So he answered me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might, but my spirit says the Lord of armies. Man, this is painting us this whole idea of we can't manufacture enough power or authority or things on our own to accomplish what God has for us. But God in his power and by his spirit, by leading his people 
can accomplish what seems to be impossible. God has not forgotten his people or his plan. God hasn't overlooked you. He's not overlooked this room. He's not overlooked his church. God hasn't forgotten. But sometimes God does have to speak in a way that shakes us up in order for us to return, be restored, and for him to do the rebuilding. Here's the second biblical observation here. God's faithfulness will restore his now obedient people. God's faithfulness will restore his now obedient people. Now, this thought is one that comes from chapters 7 and chapter 8. In these two chapters, we see almost this back and forth here. Chapter 7 speaks of the disobedience and the consequence of that. And then we move into chapter 8 of God restores, right? God restores his now obedient people. And so what we see in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 2, they are asking about what they had been doing should they continue to do it. They're asking about a feast and a fast and the traditions and they're asking about should they continue to do those things now that they are no longer under Babylonian rule okay should they continue these traditions verse 2 in chapter 7 I'll tell you what skip down to verse number 5 ask all the people of the land and the priests when you fasted and lamented in the fifth and in the seventh months for these 70 years Here it comes. Watch this. Did you really fast for me? When you eat and drink, don't you eat and drink simply for yourselves? Whoo. Okay. Now we see this moment where it's beginning to dial in to a personal moment here. I read over the past couple of weeks this one line, and I think it's worth repeating here. It is easy to have a religion of habit. It's easy to have a religion of habit, but it's much harder to have a religion of the heart. And so that really speaks to the truth that we see here in chapter 7. If you read verse 12, it says, They made their hearts like a rock so as not to obey the law of the, or, or the words that the Lord of armies had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. Therefore, intense anger came from the Lord of armies. And so what you see is this moment of it's a whole lot easier to have a religion of habits as it is a religion of the heart. And and God says this to his people. It's not about what you do. Man, that's a message for us today. That's a message for the church today. There are things that we do because we're supposed to do those things and they're on the list of things that we're supposed to do and we mark those things off the list and the Bible compares that to whitewashed tombs. It looks great on the outside. Look at me, man. I'm in church. Look at me, man. I gave up an extra hour. I came for life groups at nine. Hey, look at me. I serve in that post or in that post or I serve in this capacity. And your heart is so far from the truth of God that it's just whitewashed tombs. And this is the point of where he's going right here. Hey, listen, when you ate and drank, tell me the truth. You were doing that for yourself, man. Give me a break. If God had not forgotten his people or his purpose, you can know that God knows your heart. 
right? If, 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 if nothing contorts God's plan, then we can be sure that God knows where you are and what you're doing. Tell me the truth, man. All these habits, all these n- 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 rituals, they were f- n- for you and you alone, weren't they? Well, that gets all in your little bubble and space this morning, doesn't it? And that's the beauty of a book written so long ago and how it applies to our lives real time. If you look at chapter 8, verse 1, the, the word of the Lord of armies came. The Lord of armies says this, I'm extremely jealous for Zion. I'm jealous for her with great wrath. The Lord says this, I will return to Zion and live in Jerusalem. Man, this whole idea here, he's fixing to paint us a picture of what happens when he restores and when he rebuilds. It says this in verse 4, the Lord of armies says, Old men and women will again sit along the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of advanced age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in them. This is totally different than what we read in chapter 7. Here comes the back and forth, right? Hey, when you ate and you drank, you were doing so out of self-righteousness, self-pity, and self-ambition. But now that we recognize that and we've addressed that, this is what life can be whenever God does the rebuilding. It's not about you. God provides all that is needed. I read another quote that says this, Don't live in the past tense, live in the future tense. Rejoice at the promises God gives you for a joyful future. Guys, we can talk about what was until we're blue in the face, but it doesn't change what will be. God's purpose and plan will prevail. In Zechariah 8.8, it says this, I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be their faithful and righteous God. You see, God does, in fact, bless his now obedient people. That's an interesting thought because from the beginning of your Bible to the very end of your Bible, there's a common theme here. God blesses the obedient. The disobedience has consequence. But God blesses the obedient. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. If you trust the Lord with your heart, your life, your soul, if you surrender your life to Jesus, that doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy and healthy and ice cream and sprinkles for the rest of your time on this earth. That is not what that means. There are some people who preach that. I could not disagree more. There's even more people who believe that. And guys, they're wrong because the Bible tells us the exact opposite. Matter of fact, that trials will come. Life is tough. But your assurance is not in these temporary worldly moments. It's in Jesus. And so our call is to not to live perfect lives without blemish and flaw. It's to be obedient to the one who created you. What a difference right there. And it doesn't matter what turmoil comes. We rest in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what darkness may come. We rest in the name of Jesus. My mind goes to the Israelites as they left Egypt. Y'all know that, don't you? Under the Pharaoh's rule, they leave Egypt after the plagues and the mighty move of God, and they're wandering around in the wilderness for how many years? How many? Forty. Why? Because they were obedient and they did exactly what God told them to do? 
No. No. Our obedience does not change God's plan, nor does our disobedience. But I can tell you this, our obedience brings with it the blessings from God Almighty. Our obedience brings with it the purposes and the plan making itself known in our lives. That's what this does. Our obedience is not the hinge on which God's plan swings, but that door can swing a whole lot faster, Mark, if we just live life of obedience. And that's what we're seeing here in Zechariah 7 and 8. God does, in fact, bless his now obedient people. Here's the third observation. I'm going as fast as I can, I promise. Chapters 9 through 14. Man, I could spend three weeks right here, guys. The pierced shepherd will be our conquering king. Whew. Man, Zechariah. Guys, that Zechariah wraps up in a way. 9 through 11, we see this pierced king who is rejected. Chapters 12 through 14, we see this pierced, rejected Messiah, king, shepherd coming back as the conquering king. That's what we see playing out right here. Some of you guys will know this verse in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Some of you know that verse. We read it at least once a year, right? At Christmas time. So here comes this whole thing coming into focus for us. That, that, that Zechariah is laying out for them the fact that God is giving them truth and promises that can propel them to do whatever it takes to accomplish what he has for them. Through the visions, through the reminder of who he is, and now we see these two promises that are reaching out into the future. Hey, he's coming Here's one of these messianic-type moments, these prophetic-type moments, and we know that this pierced shepherd, this rejected shepherd, will in fact return as the conquering king. In Zechariah 12, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. They will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as he weeps for a firstborn. If you look at Zechariah 13, 1, here comes the return. Watch this. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. 14, 9 says this. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth. The Lord alone and his name alone. So here's what we see in this moment for us today. We see this already but not yet moment. This pierced shepherd has already presented himself. We know that. That's Jesus. He's already been here once, guys, and he shook things up the first time, right? He lived a life unlike any other life. He accomplished what nobody else could accomplish. He did for you and for me in this world what nobody else could do. He died on the cross, was buried. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. But one day, 
But one day, the Bible says, on that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth. He's coming back. And, you, and if you thought he shook up stuff the first time, he's coming back with complete authority and power for complete rule as the conquering king. Man, that gives you hope this morning, doesn't it? It should. No amount of rejection will stop him from coming back as the conquering king. Well, preacher, this nation and this world, man, oh, no amount of rejection will stop him coming back as conquering king. Yeah. The reality of this moment is, and I say this with complete sincerity, I don't care. I don't care what happens. Jesus is coming back, right? And that should allow us, guys, that, that, that should give us this, 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 this very heartbeat of urgency. Because the second time he comes back, man, he's coming back as the conquering king. On that day, he will come back. Third base. Gospel revelation. Oh, man. Eschatological perspective here. End times. It's coming, right? The, the messianic prophecies that we see in this book is unmatched other than the book of Isaiah. It says in Zechariah 9, 9, I read it just a moment ago, but it says, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In Matthew 21, verse 4, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Look what it says. What was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Watch closely. Verse 5. Tell daughter Zion, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, guys, if there was ever a gospel in the revelation so obvious in a minor prophet, Jesus is coming on a donkey in 520 B.C. Matthew says, see, he told you he's coming. Oh, look, there he is. He's riding on a donkey, just like the prophet said he would. Now, guys, listen, I don't care how wet your wood is, that'll light your fire, because the reality of that moment, that's a Mississippi, I'm sorry. That's, but, but listen to me, it doesn't matter what you think. We serve and worship a God who forever, no matter time, space, or context, keeps his promises. It ain't the first one. Hang on, let me get finished. I'm sorry. In, 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 in Zechariah 12, 13, I told you to bring a lunch. It says, then I said to them, if it seems right to you, give my wages, but if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Throw it to the potter, the Lord said to me. This magnificent price I was valued by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord, to the potter. That was used in the book of Zechariah as blood money. Matthew says this. Then one of the 12, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Are you ready? So they weighed out how many pieces of silver? 30. 30. 
Man, aren't you glad that we serve a God who authored a book that no matter where you're reading in this thing, you can see the name of Jesus and his authority and power, purpose and plan at work. Man, Zechariah is so good. It says in Zechariah 3.8, it speaks of the high priest named Joshua. We know that Zechariah is the prophet. I, I don't have much time to read all of this, but here's what I want you to see through this book. If you're taking notes, write these scriptures down. Zechariah 3, 8 and 9. Zechariah 6, 11 through 13. We see this, this portrait being painted for us of prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And now here's what's amazing as all these pieces come together. We know Jesus. We know Jesus fulfilled all three of those roles unlike anyone has ever filled those roles. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7, for this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Jesus is, listen closely, our high priest, our prophet, and guys, he's our king. He is. And that's what this whole thing is about. Not just this book, but this is what this whole thing is about. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Guys, the gospel is so obvious in this minor prophet. And today I'm thankful to serve a God who made himself known in 520 BC and held to his word. There are people in my life that can't keep their word till Monday. Can I get a witness? Aren't you thankful today that you serve a God over time, space, and context that keeps his promises? Life application. Why don't we take this thing home? You see what I did there, Brad? We just rounded third base. Y'all survived, and I did too. Amen? We're going to bring this thing home. What, what does this mean for us today? Write these into three thoughts down. Number one, regardless of my current situation, God has not forgotten me. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you, if you've heard nothing else, that's going to hold in your life because you needed to hear that this morning. Regardless of my current situation, God has not forgotten me. Here's the second thing. Flee sin and trust God's ways are best. Trust God's ways as best. Flee sin. It's not about you. It's about him. Here's the third one. Two words. Get ready. Get ready. Regardless of what your reality is this morning, I would encourage you, to get ready. Be prepared. 
One or two options exist for each of us in this room. Either we're going to take our last breath and meet Jesus, we're going to leave this earth and meet him, or he's going to come back and get us. Either way, you're going to meet Jesus. So get ready. What does that mean? Here's what that means for us this morning. Zechariah is so clear. God speaks in ways that shake us up. God reveals himself in ways that are just mind-blowing and mind-boggling. But here's what God never does. He never falls short on his promises. If you're in the room this morning and you've been doing what was happening in chapter 7, you've just been doing the list of things for yourself and for your own glory, I would encourage you to wake up and realize that that's not what we do anything for. We do it all for the glory of the Lord, not for self-glorification. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning in a way that has shaken things up in your life. It's an amazing thought throughout these minor prophets, repent and be restored. God has not forgotten you. Here's what we say we believe, Brad. We say and we believe that every life is precious. And we say that God is the designer, the inventor, and the author of life. And if you're here today breathing his air, then he has not forgotten about his creation. But for the first time, maybe you realize that you're more than just a creation, that you can be a child of the king. He's not forgotten you or his plan for your life. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. But before I do that, I really want you to think through this thing here with me. Regardless of your current situation, God has not forgotten you. And Zechariah is such a great reminder of the power and the authority of God in our life. God keeps his promises. And one of those promises is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. An, another one of those promises is bring your burdens to me. Another one of those promises is pray, pray, and my will will be done. Another one of those promises is I will never leave you or forsake you. Another one of those promises is nothing can separate you from the deep love of God. Another one of those promises is I am with you. Guys, no matter who you are this morning, you can get something out of this. As you bow your heads with me this morning, I want you to draw a circle just around you, not your row, not your section. I want you to really lean in to the truth of God this morning. There's multiple thoughts here for us. Number one is this. God's not forgotten you. He made you. He designed you. He gave you life. He created you. And the, the, the creator cares about the creation. Maybe God's been speaking in your life in a way that's shaken up your very foundation for you to go back and turn back to the Lord. Why not today? Why not today? Second thing is this. God will restore his now obedient people. Where are you? A real life thought this morning is, why are you here today? Is it because of 
the worthiness of the name of Jesus that you come and you worship? Or is it because it's a thing on the list that you're supposed to do? That's a heart check moment for us this morning. The pierced, rejected shepherd is coming back as conquering king. Get ready. Be prepared. Lord Jesus, we bow before you this morning. So thankful. So thankful for who you are. God, so thankful for your love. So thankful for your presence, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your righteousness, your holiness. God, I pray this morning if there's someone under the sound of my voice in this room or watching online that this would be the day, maybe the very first time they realize how much you love them. It's amazing as we've gone through these minor prophets, time and time again, you kept speaking to your people. Time and time again, you kept revealing yourself to your people. And Lord, maybe for the first time this morning, somebody's finally realizing after week, after week, after week, after week, that you're talking to them. God, help us know who you are. God, help us to know where we are and who we are. Lord, this morning, I just pray that your word would take root in our hearts, that would transform and change us, that you would light a fire in our life that is so hot and so bright that everybody around us knows that we love you. Lord, thank you for your word and how it speaks. And I pray these things in your name. That's above every name, name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.